to be able to be here today and just share in the Word with you. Um, Pastor Jeff is uh, at Calvary South Bay, kind of has a rotation of different pastors there um, that are kind of taking the teaching role there. Uh, And so um, keep him in prayer as well. I think he's got four services or something this morning. Um, so, uh, but, uh, yeah, it's a blessing. I, I just, uh, it's an honor and blessing. And again, just to, uh, share in the word with you all. And, um, I've got, I don't know, maybe I just went a little nuts with the study time, but, uh, I've got like 36 pages of notes. So we've got to get through this. So, um, no, I, I hopefully I'll, uh, I'll be able to make some sense of it. And, uh, uh but I really, you know, just really wanted you guys to understand this. I'm kind of uh, going to be staying and camping out in Ephesians chapter 4. That's, uh, that's where we'll be. And, uh, you know, all of us here today are different from one another. You know, we all come from different backgrounds. You know, maybe you had, you know, a great childhood. Maybe your parents stayed together. You know, maybe there was great problem solving and communication in your home. <laughs> maybe, maybe there was, uh, maybe you were from a divorced family. And maybe, you know, every time there was communication, it, it ended up in a blowout, right? And then ultimately ended in separation. Or, maybe, maybe you never knew your biological parents. And you kind of shifted around. From one family to another, you saw kind of a menagerie of different ways of doing things, and maybe you gleaned from what you could, and and then, uh, or maybe you just grew up confused in that way, (laughs) right? (laughs) Rick's confused. Uh, Maybe your parents were super strict and never let you do anything that, you know, uh, and that has caused issues in your life. You know, and how you deal with people. Your perception of God, you know. You know, maybe your parents were super lenient and, and you kind of lacked discipline there. You know, maybe you're, you know, you're different ethnically. You know, and there's some differences there. Maybe you're from a, diff- a different culture or country. And, and th- you do things in your country from, you know, that are just totally different than what we do here in, in the United States. You know, we kind of process things differently. You know, we think, some of us think differently about things. Some of us communicate differently. The challenge for us, the church, the body of Christ, is that we do have differences one from another. We're all different, right? We all, and, and our communication is different. You know, sometimes we, we, where are you coming from, brother? You know, like, you know, what, what are you trying to say? You know, and it's like, and they don't mean something that you think maybe they mean, you know? And so there's misunderstanding. You know, a lot of that happens. And then all of a sudden, there, you know, we got separation. You know, but the one thing, you know, there is a coordinate that the Lord has for the church. There's a coordinate, a heading for His church. It's a heading that the Lord truly desires for us the body of Christ. Something He's passionate about. Something that He and the Father share and have shared for eternity. Something that can only come through us, His believers, walking in the Spirit. God desires oneness. He wants oneness. He wants us to be one as Him and the Father are one. John 17 gives us a peek into the the prayer life of Jesus. The whole chapter is based on on Jesus' prayer. In in John chapter 17, verse 11, speaking of His disciples, He says, Holy Father, keep through Your name those whom You have given Me, that they may be one as we are one. Verse 20 and 21 in the same chapter, Jesus says, continues to say, I do not pray for these alone, speaking of his disciples, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they all may be one. As you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us. And here's the reason why Jesus prayed that way. That the world outside these walls 
may believe that Jesus was sent from God the Father. He gives us the purpose of why unity or oneness is so important so that the world may believe that Jesus was sent by the Father. Our responsibility as believers is to guard, protect, preserve that oneness. To do this, we need to understand some things. Let's turn to Ephesians chapter 4, if you're not already there, which will give us some clues as to how we can obtain this goal of oneness. And let's pray. Father, we just thank you, Lord, that your desire is that we be one as you and the Father are one. Lord, we want that. We want that oneness, Lord, in a world that keeps tearing things apart and separating us. And, and uh, there is divorce. and We see that rampantly, Lord, in this world. Lord, you desire for us to have oneness. Lord, teach us, show us, reveal to us today, Lord, how we can accomplish that in the church so that the world will know that you were sent to this world to die for their sins. Lord, speak to our hearts now, we pray. We thank you and we praise you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. So, verse 1 of chapter 4 of Ephesians says, I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord... It's important to pause right there. The first thing we see in chapter 4 is that in order to guard or preserve oneness or unity, we need to have a surrendered life. Paul said, I am the prisoner of the Lord. We need to be experiencing oneness with God personally, through prayer, through His Word, and through fellowship. And as we do this, we begin to have a surrendering of our own will. Notice Paul says, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord. He recognized that he wasn't just the prisoner of the Roman guard. He wasn't the the prisoner of the Roman legion. He wasn't the prisoner of the Roman Empire. He was the prisoner of the Lord. He understood that God had a greater purpose for Paul's life than what Paul himself could ever do. He surrendered his life into God's loving hands, knowing that God knew absolutely and totally what was best for Paul and for the kingdom. A surrendered life knows that the kingdom of God is important. He knows that it's important. So so he allows that purpose into the equation. The kingdom purposes into the equation of of his life. That's what a surrendered life is. The equation of the surrendering process as we surrender our lives to Him. God is sovereign, which means He is in absolute control of our lives. Even when we cannot see or hear, like we sang, what God is doing, He is still in control. And Paul understood that. He said, I'm, the, I'm, I'm not the prisoner of the Roman guard. I'm the prisoner of the Lord. The Lord has me here. I go bound in the Spirit. That's what he said. I go bound in the Spirit. Because there's a purpose that I was created for, that God has for me. He was a surrendered man to the purposes of God. So in order to have that oneness, we need to have that surrendered life. God is in control, even when circumstances may hurt. In those painful times of our lives, He is in control and we can trust his gracious hands as he willingly continue as we willingly continue to surrender our lives to him this is what it means to have a surrendered life if you're not surrendered then we can't have oneness you have to be surrendered in order for that oneness to be able to be evident in your life as you surrender to him realizing that he loves you and all your problems and issues we then can turn and love others realizing That if God loves me and all my junk, I need to love others how He loves me. That this surrendering of your life to God makes for oneness. The next thing we need to do in order to guard oneness, and it's in chapter verse two says, uh, "Walk or live worthy of the calling with which we were called." Well, what do you mean the calling with which we were called? Well, you were called out of darkness and into his marvelous light, the Bible says. So live in the light. You were called to be co-heirs with Christ and you have an inheritance in Christ. So live as a royal child of God. 
You were dead, but now in Christ you are alive. So live in life and take off the grave clothes. You have been forgiven, redeemed by the blood of Jesus. So live as an imitator of Christ. How is this to be accomplished? Verse 2, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love. The word lowliness doesn't mean that, oh, I'm just a doormat. Right? That doesn't mean you don't, you don't, it's that, it kind of has that connotation that lowliness, you know? I'm to be just low, you know? But that's not what it means. It means to have the correct estimate of yourself. That wouldn't be the correct estimate. You're not a doormat. We are not to view ourselves lower than we really are. It doesn't mean we have an Eeyore type estimate of ourselves. I'm just a loser. Right? That would be wrong. And we're not supposed to have a Muhammad Ali view of ourselves. I'm the greatest in the world, right? No. Lowliness has the right estimate of ourselves before God and before others. And this comes from a surrendered life. And the result is unity or oneness. When you can, and really, honestly, to study chapter 4, you really have to know chapters 1, 2, and 3 before getting into chapter 4. The book of Ephesians is broken down into three. Kind of, they've kind of broken it down into three. It's wealth, the, your, the wealth, the walk, and the warfare is what the book of Ephesians is kind of broken down to. And the first three chapters is the wealth you have in Christ. We have a wealth in Christ. And I kind of gave you some of those, that we have an inheritance. We're co-heirs with Christ. We were dead and He's made us alive in Christ. We have a wealth. We have that wealth. We've been chosen, predestined. Right? To find out who you really are before God, look at chapters 1 through 3. That's how you are. To God, that is how you are. Let God show you who you really are. Look through God's filter as to who you are to Him. And that will give you the right estimate of yourself. That's what lowliness is. You don't, you don't look at yourself great. You don't look at yourself too low. You just look at yourself in the light of what God says about you. You've been chosen. You're His child. Adopted to be sons. That's what God says of you. The next thing is gentleness or meekness. It's not to be confused with weakness. Moses was known to be a meek man, and yet great power was wielded through him. Jesus was a meek man and yet drove out the money changers and flipped over the tables and, you know, not to mention the tremendous uh, pain and torture he went through leading up to the cross and then ultimately the cross. Jesus was not a weak man, but he was a meek man. Gentleness. He was gentle. It's not to be confused with weakness. We can be meek or gentle and yet not be weak. God does this in a person's life who is surrendered to Him. The next thing is long-suffering, He says, with all long or with all lowliness. I'm sorry, and gentleness with long-suffering. And there's there's kind of a picture of this. Jesus did this in the Garden of Gethsemane when the temple guards came to arrest Jesus, and He. Uh, Peter draws his sword and lops off the ear of Malchus, right? And then Jesus said, put up your sword. Don't you, don't you realize that I could pray to the Father and he would send 12 legions of angels to fight for me? That's what Jesus said. I mean, he could have done that in a heartbeat. He could have just said, Lord, send 12, you know, and bam, send one. That's all it would have taken. And it would have been a done deal. But he didn't. And that's exactly what long-suffering is. Long-suffering means to have self-restraint before proceeding to action. It's the quality of a person who is able to avenge himself, yet refrains from doing so. How we need to demonstrate long-suffering towards one another How many times at the first sign of trouble or difficulty or misunderstanding do we sink our brother's ship without any warning? Sorry. 
he's being a jerk, you know, or, you know, and then we just, mm, I'm not going to, you know. We don't, we don't deal with that. We don't deal with it in, in love. We need to be reconcilers. We need to be people who desire more than anything to heal a broken relationship. Did not Jesus heal our broken relationship with God by laying down his life for us? Let that truth permeate your soul. Don't say, well, I'm not going to unless he does first. Be the one who initiates reconciliation. We need to strive as much as is possible to seek to restore relationships between each other. Do we have differences? Yes. But don't let our petty little differences become sources of contention and division. I'm not minimizing that there are some difficult issues out there that we might face that are hard to reconcile. Are there some hills to die on? Yes. Maybe sometimes. But what I'm saying is that through fervent prayer over the issue, God will intervene and knows how to bring about a resolution and peace. Believe that He can handle it. Believe that He can handle it. Trust that He can handle it. He can handle whatever it is that we go through as a body, as the church. He knows how to handle it. If it's handled in love, He knows how to handle those things. If we'll be bold enough to, in love to step up and, and initiate that, to correct the problem through prayer, God can do it. God can handle Believe that He can handle it. The next thing is to bear with one another in love. This literally means to hold up or hold back from falling. Hold up or hold back one another from falling. Don't just sit back and say, they're just so full of pride. I'm just going to watch them crash and burn. Right? Sometimes we can't get that. We don't Because we're not... You know, sometimes we'll see someone and we, and we don't know how to deal with it. And, and we don't, you know, maybe care enough to, to, to maybe take the time. We need to care enough to prayerfully address the issue in love. Bear with one another in love. Hold up, hold back from falling one another in love. That's what he says. Care enough to pray. Some people don't pray. They're not praying. They just kind of think, well, that was, he just blew me off. I'm just going to, you know. Whatever, I'm going to blow him off then. But no, go to prayer and say, you know, Lord, why, why did that happen? Why was that? Why, do, why did this situation occur? That hurt, Lord. I pr- help me to, to correct, help me to reconcile that. Help me to be bold to go and, and confront in love. Say, man, that hurt me, you know? That hurt my feelings, you know? Be okay with that. Be okay with that. It's okay. Remember? Meekness is not weakness. We have, well, I can't do that. You know, I got to be strong. And you know, well, you know what? To be a follower of Christ, you, you're you're to follow Christ. And he was strong, but he was meek. He was gentle at the same time. He was willing to talk it out to address the issues. Care enough to perfectly address the issue in love. By doing this, we will be cultivators of oneness or unity in the body of Christ. In order to help us kind of remember, I, I kind of drew out of the next portion of the text, um, I call them the three E's. Okay, And uh, I ha- I've kind of broken this portion into the three E's. The first E is, in verse 3, endeavoring. Endeavoring. The second E is equipping. And the third E is edifying. Verse 3 to 6 says, Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. Kind of get the picture? There's oneness, right? Right? God wants us to be one. He wants us to be one. That's the whole idea. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Endeavoring. What does it mean to endeavor to keep the unity? Well, we just kind of looked at some things. 
before that that led up to that. We have to have a surrendered life. That helps in keeping unity. If you're surrendered and I'm surrendered, then, then we're kind of submitting one to another as unto the Lord. We have that happening in our lives. The other thing was walk worthy or live in a way that pleases the Lord. And how are we to do that? In all lowliness and gentleness or meekness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love. By doing these things, you are endeavoring. To endeavor, the word endeavor literally means to make every effort to do one's best, to be eager, to be diligent. We are to endeavor to keep or guard or preserve the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. In other words, make every effort to keep, preserve, protect, guard the oneness or unity of the Spirit in the ligament or tendon that is peace. Peace is a ligament, a tendon that keeps together. That's what that means in there. It is the ligament that keeps us together. Peace. We were enemies of Christ, but now Christ broke down the wall of separation between us, and He Himself became our peace. Ephesians 2 says, When you have ought against your brother or your sister, remember that He is our peace. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit and continue to not reconcile. I know it's easier to not deal with it. It's easier. But Jesus said, bear your cross. Bear your cross. And this is part of it. That is, this is part of bearing your cross and following Jesus. Is dealing with those things. Because you know why? It takes love. It takes love to deal with those things. Taking the time to pray for someone. Taking the time to care for someone that maybe you feel is something going on. It, takes, it, it does take care and love to confront and to, in love. Not to blast them out of the water, but, you know, but to, to, in love, handle the issue. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit and continue to not reconcile. It's our Christian duty to make amends. To make amends with our brothers and sisters. To cultivate oneness. To keep the unity of the Spirit. We are to endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Remember Jesus' prayer in John 17. He wants oneness. That we would be one as Him and the Father are one. God desires oneness in our marriage. The two shall become one. Right? He wants oneness. Oneness in our marriage. Oneness in our family. Oneness with our kids. He wants that oneness with us. That's His desire. And not only does He want that with our marriage and our family, but He wants it with our church. He deals with that, but kind of in the other order. He starts with the church. Paul does in chapter 4. He deals with the church and how God wants oneness in chapter 4. Then he talks about marriage in chapter 5. And then with our children in chapter 6. God desires oneness. He's giving instruction so that we'll all be on the same page and we all understand what, what we're doing here. Why are we doing this? So there's not like, well, I, I think it's, we should do that. Well, I think it should be that way. Well, I think, it, you know. No, God gave us His Word so that we can follow that. You know, well, I, I, I'm kind of an individual, Chris, you know. You know I, I like to think the way I like to think, you know. <laughs> but there are people like that. The world, you know, they, they want to act like they're just, they're, I mean, we are unique and different, don't get me wrong, but sometimes we all have to come to that ultimate conclusion that God made us, you know, and He loves us, and He, and he is smarter than we are, right? Right? And and you know there's there's some people that, you know, that still just think they're smarter than God, you know, and, and uh, go to the universities, you know. <laughs> College professors, you know, I mean they you know. Let's read uh, verse seven to twelve, half of twelve. 
But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Now this, he ascended, what does it mean but that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. Okay? Um, Kind of a weird verse to understand, but when Jesus died, those three days, he wasn't just sitting in there in the tomb. He went down into what's called Abraham's bosom, right? This was a kind of a paradise place for those who died before Christ could come and die for the sins of the world, right? He hadn't come yet, but they all died in their sin. And so they're kind of in this waiting period, and God wanted to go and, and give them an opportunity to, to receive and hear the message of the gospel, So Jesus, during those three days, went down into the depths and preached the gospel of the good news that the Messiah had come and that he was, in fact, the Messiah. And then he would take out those that were in that Abraham's bosom to take them with him to heaven. Okay? Well, at the same time, when Jesus died, he said he was going to rise again. And then he did. So after he did that, he rose again and he appeared to all the disciples, more than 500 of the disciples. And then he, he led them to the Mount of Olives and he said, wait in Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high and, and uh, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, Samaria, and under the uttermost parts of the earth. Okay, and then he ascended right before their very eyes up into heaven. Well, while that took place, all those Old Testament saints went up with him in the spirit. Their souls went with him. He took captivity captive. They became the captives of Christ and he took them up with them or with him to heaven. But then at the same time he says, I'm going to give you the, the gift of the Holy Spirit to the disciples who were still alive there at the time. And so then the day of Pentecost came and the Holy Spirit fell upon the disciples and he gave gifts to the men. And they the, the, the Holy Spirit the, the, said it lighted upon them like tongues of fire and they began to speak in tongues. And, and, there was, and that, that day, the day of Pentecost, there was people from all over speaking different languages and God knew that and He allowed it to happen right at that right time and people began to glorify God in these different languages and they go, Isn't the, aren't these Galileans speaking my language? And... and uh, they glorified God, and many, many people came to, to, to the Lord through that, that sign, that, that kind of sign and wonder that occurred at that time as the, as the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out. So, that's kind of what that means. And so, in that same time as he goes to the depths, and then he, he gets ascended, and then he pours out his gifts upon men, the Holy Spirit. He pours out the Holy Spirit, and, and as he does, gifts were given to men. Okay, that all happened in, like, kind of simultaneously. That's what that means. That's what it's kind of talking about there. And then he says, He himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. Now, he gave some to be apostles and prophets and some evangelists, or apostles and prophets. There's some confusion over that. Um, because I, I've seen, there's some people, some ministries that say, Hi, I'm, I'm Apostle Bob. You know? And, or, you know, and, and they, they, they consider themselves as apostles. And um, now, you can have an apostle-like ministry. You can have an apostle Paul-like ministry. I was a part of one like that. And that's basically a church planting ministry. You go out and you plant a church where there is none. That's an apostle Paul-like ministry. Like ministry. But we weren't apostles because we were doing something that apostle Paul did. Right? And so... You know, and, and also a prophetic ministry. But in this context, these particular gifts have, have been kind of done away with because they were initially given when the church began for the beginning stages of the church. 
Paul writing to the Ephesian church in his day, him being an apostle, he as well as others like Peter, for instance, were alive in that day when that gift was in operation, sharing the gospel for the first time in history. So in order to authenticate who they were and the work they were doing, signs and wonders followed them. The work of the, the, the apostle, signs and wonders followed them for laying the foundation of the church. It was meant to leave no doubt that God was in fact beginning something very special in their day. Also, a characteristic of one who is an apostle, a real apostle, is one who's witnessed the resurrection. He had to have witnessed the risen Christ in order to be a real apostle. This was a special gift for a special time. The gift of prophets was similar because the word of God, what you have in your laps today, they didn't have back then. It was in the making. We think of prophecy as kind of foretelling the future, and, and, um, and it can be used in that way. But mainly, again, in this context, it was used to convey to believers God's will for the church. Also, men or women who had this gift would speak words from God to his people in order to encourage and comfort them in the Lord. So that was the, that was the purpose because the, the written word of God was not there yet. And so God would speak to prophets. These people who had the gift of, of, of prophecy and they would speak the word of God to them. Now, we have the Word of God, written. The gifts of the apostles and prophets are really no longer necessary because the written Word has taken the place of these gifts. But if you don't believe me, I think it's good practice just to compare Scripture with Scripture. Just to make sure we're on par with what God says. Ephesians 2.20 says, Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. So, again, it says the foundation. I think think we're past the foundation period of this building called the church. I think we're we're, we're past that. Now, now, uh, you know, we have different gifts that are in play now. But these were unique gifts for a unique time. We now have receive instruction and encouragement and wisdom and counsel through the written word of God. But there are other gifts mentioned in this text that are, that are still in use today. One is the gift of evangelism. Greg Laurie or Billy Graham, for example, have the gift of evangelism. They have this gift. It's a gift that calls people to repentance, to call sinners out of darkness and to accept Christ. Pastors and teachers are there to instruct those who have been evangelized and and who now need to grow in the grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. You can't, as a Christian, live on evangelistic messages alone. Right? As a Christian, you can't grow on just keep hearing the call to repent and turn your life to Christ, right? You need to grow in the grace. And how you do that is through God's word. And that's what a pastor and teacher, those are what pastors and teachers are. The evangelist brings them in. He throws the net and and draws them in, draws the fish in. Pastors and teachers basically clean the fish (laughs) through the word of God, right? (laughs) You know, by the washing of the water of the word. You don't don't get gutted, but you know... um, um, that was pro- yeah, right, right. Maybe sometimes I've, I've felt gutted. Sometimes, you know. Okay. These gifts are for a specific purpose in the church. They are for the equipping. That's our second E word: equipping of the saints. Paul directs this equipping to the saints, the church, the body of Christ. That's you and me. Equipping. Notice, though, in verse 7, it is Christ's gift. He gives gifts to men as he sees fit. It's not because we deserve it or have earned it. They are gifts. And they are by his grace, his unmerited favor. Literally getting what we don't deserve. That's grace. These are gifts of grace. 
He gives them to whom he wants and how he wants and when he wants. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 12, 31, he says, to earnestly desire the best gifts. God has gifts for you, whether you have realized them or not. He wants to develop in you those gifts that he put in you before the foundations of the world. Ephesians chapter 2 says, you are his workmanship. That word workmanship is the word, the Greek word poema, which is where we get the word poem. You are his poem that he has put effort and care and love into. He created you in Christ. Why? For good works, which God prepared beforehand that you should walk in them. The works that God prepared beforehand for you to do require a gifting. Ask God and keep on asking God what He would have you to do for His kingdom. And then when you feel led towards a certain thing, step out and see what the Lord does. That's what, that's what He wants. He wants to see you step out. In various ways. You may, you may not be teaching up here or leading worship or up front in front of people, but there's other things where you can equip and edify the body of Christ. There's things that you can do. Don't feel like you can't do something. There's many, many, many things that you can be a blessing to the body of Christ. God wants you to, to use those gifts that you have. You'll never know until you go, right? You can't steer a ship that's parked in a harbor. Once the ship gets moving, then you can steer it. Just get moving in a direction. And the Lord is faithful to steer you where He wants you. Step out and do some different things to see where maybe your giftings are. Maybe you have been given a gift and you know it, but you're not using it. 1 Timothy says, Do not neglect the gift that was given you by the laying on of the hands of the elders. Paul then further exhorted Timothy in 2 Timothy in chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. He said, Therefore I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Verse 7 says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. So we are not to neglect the gift and we're not to, or we are to stir up the gift. Meaning use it for God's glory. That's what I'm doing today. I don't, I don't normally do this. I mean, I have. I've done this a few times here and there throughout my walk with the Lord. But, you know, I've always done worship. You know, I've always been doing that. You know, that's where God has led me to do. But, you know, God sometimes changes things. He changes things. He, he wants to, you know, bring us into, from glory to glory, you know, I mean, I guess is what he wants us to do, you know? He wants to do more in, in each one of your lives. God wants to do that. I'm seeking to stir up the gift in me and not to neglect it by being here today. Because Jeff asked me. <laughs> you know, and my knees were knocking again, you know? And my stomach immediately knots up, you know? I mean, I'm like, oh, no. You know? Because it's, it, you know, like I said, there's so many people here, so many differences. You're all from different backgrounds. All different. You're all, you know, just different, you know? And, and I, come from, I come from a broken family, you know, not, not a dad around, you know? Um, so, you know, there's some things that, you know, I face, you know, that... Now I'm, I'm called to the family of God when I, you know, and try to, I try to be a family guy in the church here, you know, and, and I don't know how that even is, you know. Only child, you know, I'm, you know, so if you see me withdrawn and kind of quiet, that's, well, that's because that's who I am, you know, in some ways, you know. There is that aspect of who I am as a person, you know. It's not that I'm being 
rude or, or being anything. It's just, it's just how I was. It's how I am. I, I remember I have memories as a child, you know, hearing my parents fighting, you know, and then boom, separation, you know. So to me, I'm, I'm a little more sensitive to when I see that in the church, right? Maybe some of you are like that. Maybe you feel that. You feel dysfunction like immediately. I do. But you know what? God wants to use that. He wants to use that. He wants to use you in some of your weaknesses. Some of those things that maybe are weakness in you. God wants to use that. Because, you know, it's, it's, it's really, I'm kind of getting ahead of myself, but really it's, it's the hard things sometimes in life that are the best things. Right? I want to use any gifts that God has given me, so even though I'm scared to death. Right? Even though we can be just scared to death to use them, God wants you to use them. Step out. Deny yourself. Forget about you. Forget about yourself. And just say, Lord, I'm, I'm available. I'm available to you. I'm trusting that God would not even put it on Jeff's heart to even ask me. Right? He wouldn't ask me. Why would he ask me? If I, if, if I, if I believe that he's a, a man who is led by the Spirit, which I hope that we all do, because if not, then why are you here, right? I believe Jeff is led by the Spirit. That's why I'm here. That's why I stay here. I believe he's a man who is led by the Spirit. If you don't believe that, I don't know what you're doing here, right? I mean, some of you that maybe are new and you don't, I'm talking to the, the ones who've been here and know Jeff. Those of you maybe you're visiting today, you know, I know Jeff. And I know he loves the Lord. And I know he's listening to God. Right? I am trusting that he, as one who is my pastor, sees something in me that, would, that he would even ask me to be here. I'm not here because, you know what, Jeff, I think you ought to put me up there. Because I'm such a smart guy, you know. I, I don't think that way at all. I'm scared to death to be up here, you know. I'm trusting that Jeff is being led by the Spirit to ask the question. If someone asks you, hey, if Dan asks you, hey, you know what? I see you've got a heart for the, the, the youth. You know? How about, why don't you teach the Word? Why don't you maybe step out and teach a, a, a service, uh, you know, a youth, our youth group one, one day? Be open. If you're praying and asking God to use you, and you're making yourself available, then, and then God sends somebody to say, hey, be open that God is doing something there. And he's, he's saying, maybe I would have you to do that. And, and you know what? It's going to be rough at first. Just know that. It will be rough at first. But you have to exercise the gift. You have to exercise it. You have to use it. The more you use it, the better a little bit it gets. <laughs> I'm still learning that, you know? But no, every time I have ever stepped out and done, you know, I, I, I feel blessed. It, it, maybe not everybody else does, but, but, I, but I, feel, I have felt blessed. Like, like, like the Lord did something in me, you know, too. You know, and that's, that's that reciprocated blessings. And I, and I know God, because it's God's Word. It's, it's going to re, not return void, you know. I'm, I'm not sitting here talking about just, you know, other stuff than, other than God's Word. I mean, I'm, I'm taking God's Word and that's going to bless you, regardless of whether... I mean, God can use a donkey, you know? I mean, that's what He did, you know? I mean, so... 
if the word's going out, it's gonna bless. It's gonna bless you, and 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 then I get blessed in the process too, you know. But God wants you to step out and use the gift that maybe God has put in your heart and put in you to do. And um, God wants availability. Not ability. You know, we've heard that, right? He's not looking for ability, you know. Um, God chooses the foolish things of the world. (laughs) He chooses the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. To put to shame the smarty pants of the world, right? I mean, look at the disciples. I'm a foolish thing, you know. The disciples, they weren't like the upper crust of society. You know, they weren't cut from a different cloth. They were just stinky fishermen, right? Not, not from real noble backgrounds. But that's who God chose. He chose you too. He wants to equip you for the work of ministry. When I think of equipping, I think of equipment. I remember when I first started doing electrical, and uh, I was working for a friend who was a contractor I grew up with. I was back from the mission field and I like had nothing and I saw I bumped into him at church and he said and he knocked taps me on the back of the shoulder and and it was like whoa you know he was he was like a party guy you know I mean, I, he's always the guy throwing up in the corner you know and now he's like going to church you know I mean that's who this guy was and and uh, the Lord kind of he's from like a he's a third generation electrician you know and so he he says well I can put you to work. And so I said, okay. And so the first thing he did, he took me to the hardware store. He says, yeah, you're going to need that. You're going to need this. You're going to need that. You're going to need this, this, that, that. Lays it on the counter, and he buys it all for me. He says, there you go. Here you go. Now you're ready to work. God wants, and it's been his design from the beginning. Oh, and he said, he would tell me, we need to get you tooled up. You know, that's what he'd tell me. We need to get you tooled up. And so that's what God's design is to tool you up. He wants to tool you up. Give you the tools for the work of the ministry. Tools are used in construction, the building of something, or the fixing of something. God has his tools for the building of the house of God. I think sometimes I I know too much because I know that God is looking for men and women who will stand in the gap. How do I know that? Bible says. (laughs) Bible says it. And I know his word. I know his word. The more that you come and listen and learn from the word, the more responsible you are for what you know. We will be held responsible for what we've received. Am I Chuck Smith? Am I Jeff Gill? Am I Gail Irwin or Brian Broderson or any of these great pastors who God is using and has used? I'm not them. That's okay. I don't have to be them. I need to be who God wants me to be. But what they have, what they have that you see in them and hear coming from them, has taken them years to develop and is the gift at work in them. We are not to compare ourselves with one another because we're all unique in the eyes of the Lord. Don't be comparing yourself with another because they have had years to develop their gift. Don't let that rule yourself out from stepping out in faith to begin being used by the Lord. Remember, these are gifts from God, not natural abilities. And the only way these gifts can be realized in your life is if you step out in faith and see what the Lord might do. And when you do step out, know that it will probably be a little rough at first. But it will also be a blessing at the same time. Best things often come through the hardest of things. Just look at the cross. We talked about that. Who for the joy set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame. It's for the joy set before Him, He endured the cross, despising the shame. 
First Chronicles 16.9 says that the, Lord, the eyes of the Lord search to and fro throughout the whole earth in order to show himself strong on behalf of those whose hearts are loyal to him. God's just looking for people that will step up and do, begin to do things for, for him. We have men and women in this church who are actively seeking and doing just that. Praise God for that. People like Mario, Dan, Michael, Luke, Dave, Connie, Jeff, Adam, Chuck, Craig, Donna, Terry, Drew, Jennifer, Brandon, Jennifer, Kent, Jessica, Jerry, Richard, Ann, Rick, Mary. There's more. There's there's more. All actively looking how they can equip the saints and how they might be useful for the kingdom. All of this can only happen by the giver giving us gifts, and those gifts are there for us to draw out and work out for his specific purpose. Why? Well, here's the fine print. Here's the catch, the hook. It's for the work of ministry. Yes, God is looking for laborers. He said the harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Pray to the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. This is God's plan for us, the church. Not only are we to come and listen to the word, which is super important. Look at the story of Mary and Martha. Martha all preoccupied. Oh, why isn't Mary helping me? You know, just sitting there at Jesus' feet, listening to him. And Jesus said, Martha, Martha, you're concerned about many things, but she has chosen the the better part, and that will not be taken from her. So it's it's there is a time for us to just sit at the Lord's feet. But then there's also a time that we need to start stepping out and getting busy for the kingdom. Use the gifts that God has given you. Stir up the gift that might be in you. God wants to equip us for the work of the ministry, which ultimately is for the third E, the third E word, edifying of the body of Christ. The main purpose of the equipping of the saints and the edifying of the body is to create unity or oneness. Verses 12 to 16 says, For the equipping of the saints... So he gave gifts to men for the what? The equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. All kind of weird wording and how it's saying, but basically it's oneness. God wants oneness in us measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into Him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effect of working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. The building up of the body of Christ. The body of Christ is you, is me. Warren Wiersbe said, those gifts or equipment that God gives are not toys to be played with, but tools to build with. And if not used in love, they can become weapons to fight with. Which is exactly what happened in the, first, uh, in the Corinthian church. Uh, chapters uh, 12 to 14, 1 Corinthians. They were doing just that. Had gifts. Had the gifts. And yet they, there was no love. That's why chapter 12 is talking about love. The love chapter. Love is kind. Love is patient. Love is long-suffering. Love does not puff up. Right? He had to tell them, remind them, look, you guys need, you got the gifts, you're all blessed with these gifts, but you got no love. 
That's what happened in that church. It can be, become weapons to fight with. We don't want that. The purpose of, for edifying or building up the body of Christ is that we would all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. The very reason for edification is for unity or oneness. God wants us to be one, to be one in what and how we believe concerning Christ. Wearsby went on to say the first evidence of spiritual growth as a body, each individual making up the body, is Christ-likeness. Christ-likeness. Ouch. To be like Christ? Well, it's not all bad. There are some things that are glorious concerning Christ-likeness that we get to share with Jesus in. But there are also some hard lessons that Christ-likeness will bring as well. I remember praying, Lord, make me more like you. Right? You ever prayed that prayer? And not even like really thinking what that means, really. You know, I mean, just kind of would pray that. And you know what? God will answer that prayer, you know, in your life. And sometimes not in the way you think. You know? He'll let you be despised by people and, and rejected of men and feeling grief, just like he was. Isaiah 53, he was, a, he was acquainted with grief. He was a man of sorrows. Right? Jesus will allow you to taste that sometimes when you pray that prayer. Even if you've got Christ in you and you're walking with the Lord and you're seeking to be more like Him, God's going to allow you to taste that, a little bit of who He was, so that you can be better in your edifying of the body of Christ. As you begin, the character of Christ begins to work inside you. You begin to demonstrate Christ-likeness. And then people, oh, wow, you know, they see that. It wasn't until he illuminated it to me in a fresh way, that Isaiah 53, when I was going through that, and it dawned on me, and the Lord just spoke to me, did you not pray to make me make you more like me? <laughs> I went, Oh yeah, I did, Lord, <laughs> but but not that way, Lord. You know, not that way. I was thinking like walking on water, you know, preaching sermons, you know, all the the you know whatever, you know, healing people. I wasn't expecting to be a partaker in the fellowship of his sufferings. He was despised and rejected of men and was acquainted with grief. Maybe this is you today, feeling despised and rejected of men, and acquainted with grief. Know that you're in good company. You're in the company of Christ Himself, and are a partaker in the fellowship of His sufferings. Does this fellowship of His sufferings last forever? No. But sometimes He lets us taste a bit, so we can be more useful to Him in the building up of the body of Christ, the edifying of the body of Christ. In conclusion, a few things to help us remember how we are to cultivate unity in the body. The first thing we looked at was be surrendered to the Lord. Know that God has a bigger plan far better than you could make for yourself. As you surrender to Him and say, Lord, you have something better for me than I have for me. You'll be creating oneness. You'll be submitted as the other believers are doing the same. And that will be oneness. There will be oneness, unity. To walk or live in such a way that is worthy of you being a child of God. Walk worthy of the calling. He called you out of darkness and into His light. Live in the light. How do we do this? With all lowliness. Let God's estimate of who you are be what motivates you in how you treat others and what you do for His kingdom. Gentleness or meekness, which is not to be confused with weakness, you can be strong and still be meek at the same time. 
long-suffering. Remember to have self-restraint before taking action against your brother or sister. Pray before taking action. Pray before you decide to sink your brother's ship. Six, bearing with one another in love, holding up or holding back your brothers and sisters from falling. And then the three E words, endeavoring. Endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Make every effort to guard, to protect, to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the ligament or tendon, which is peace. Equipping, be equipped by Christ. Keep coming and listening and learning, but but also be open to let God use you. Be open. Be equipped by Christ and become one who equips others for the work of ministry. Third E word, edifying. Edify or build up the body of Christ so that the world, why? So that the world may believe that Jesus was sent from the Father and that he would be glorified. I want to finish this last chapter, or this chapter 4, picking up in 17. I'll just go ahead and read that, and then we'll pray. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that you should no longer walk as the rest of Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God, because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness, to work all uncleanness with greediness. But you have not so learned Christ, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man, which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, And be renewed in the spirit of your mind, that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, putting away lying, let each one of you speak with his neighbor. Speak truth with his neighbor. For we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather labor. Let him labor, working with his hands what is good, for he may have something to give him who has need. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And then verse 32, Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. I mean, I, I don't know how clear that says it. I mean, it just it's just, we need to have that. We need to demonstrate that kindness. I remember the story of Mephibosheth. Remember the story? King David comes back to power and uh, the family of Saul, basically all dead except for one, Mephibosheth. And he was, he was lame in his feet. He had been dropped as they were fleeing. He was dropped as a baby. But David, we have a picture of Jesus and David in this story. David comes back to his throne and he just says, you know what? Is there anybody left of the house of Saul that I may show kindness to? You know, that's, that's, that's the Lord. He wants to show kindness to you. And if I can find it. Well, it says basically that the Lord wants to do that in your life too. He wants to show the exceeding riches of His glory to you and in His kindness towards you. You know, God wants to do that. And um, I love that story, you know. And He set, found and sought out Mephibosheth and set him at His table. 
you know, so that he could eat with the king and all his household. You know, he just wanted to do that because he, because of Jonathan, really, Saul's son. And uh, he wanted to show kindness to him, you know. <laughs> and then Mephibosheth is just like us. You know, he kind of doesn't realize that the king wants him to be at his table. And he kind of lets it all go. Just lets it go. God wants us to realize what we have in Christ, the wealth that we have in Christ. And let that motivate you. Let that, take that in. Believe it. Accept that. That who you are. Have that right estimate of yourself. That who you are in Christ. That you're special. You're special to Him. Yes, every single one of you. He's able to every single be care, be you know, concerned and and care for every single one of you and all your issues and all your concerns and all your cares. He's aware of all of it, and he cares about all of it, and he cares for all of you, all of us. He wants to show his kindness toward us in the ages to come, that he might demonstrate his kindness toward. <coughs> towards us. That's what God wants to do. And that's how we need to have, we need to be kind to one another. We need to reflect that kind of heart to one another. What does it say? Be kind to one another and then tender-hearted, forgiving one another even as God in Christ forgave you. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you that, Lord, you are tender-hearted towards us. Thank you, Lord, that you desire oneness with us as you and the Father are one. Lord, I pray you'd equip us for the work of ministry. Lord, I pray that you'd speak to hearts here today, Lord, that Maybe you have something for them to do, Lord, for your kingdom. I pray you would develop that. That you would speak into their hearts, Lord, just a desire to step out in faith. So, Lord, speak to our hearts, Lord. Speak to each one of us, Lord. And for, Lord, the work of the ministry, Lord for what you, you would have for us on this earth, Lord, that we would be busy about our Father's business, Lord. I pray you would just uh, continue to work in our lives. And, Lord, we just thank you for your word. And, and uh, thank you that, Lord, you don't just send us out unequipped or ill-equipped. But, Lord, you do desire to equip us and give us all that we need for that work. And so, Lord, we thank you and we just pray that you just... Uh, Continue just to go before us the rest of this day. Speak to our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen.